0: My name is Bob Martin. I'm one of the uh, pastors on staff. I want to welcome you, and I'm uh, so glad that you're here. Um, not long ago, I was at a uh, graveside service of a friend, and after the graveside service was over, I was meandering around in the cemetery, and I happened to come across a, uh, a tombstone or a, um, a gravestone. And, and I, I like reading what's on gravestones. I don't know if you do, but I like reading what's on gravestones. And This one was uh, really interesting, and it really caught my eye. Um, and uh, it was one that uh, just, just really brought out a, a bunch of things. It was, uh, it was one of those things, it was not a psalm like Psalm 23. It was not words from John 14 where Jesus talks about, uh, you know, uh, greatness and, and letting our hearts not be troubled and all those things. This basically said, go and make disciples uh, of all people. It was actually quoted out of Mark. But that's not the most bizarre gravestone I've ever seen. Actually, the most bizarre one was a couple of years ago. Patty and I were vacationing in Key West, and Matt, who was a guy that we uh, uh, met who was a local there, he said, come on, I want to take you on a trip into the cemetery. And we're like, okay. So we got on the little golf cart, went in there, and sure enough, there was a gravestone that said, see, I told you I was sick. <laughs> I mean, it was, it, was, it was actually, it was amazing. So, so when I saw this, uh, getting back to uh, the graveside service, when I saw that one, go and make disciples of all nations, I was really inspired by that because I think, you know, uh, you know a lot of people talk about the dash in between the dates and, and uh, what your life matters and those kind of things. But I was trying to think about, wow, who, who in their life would say that, that to go and make disciples, and I thought, you know, maybe it was a pastor, maybe it was somebody who's really committed to, to Christ and, and, and the faith, and, and I started thinking about, you know, what would I put on my gravestone, and, and not really sure what, what would go on that. Um, but I thought, you know, I wondered a little bit more about this person. When did they live? How long did they live? What impact did they have? And who were they? And I walked around to the back of a gravestone, and I was just totally blown away with what I saw. The gravestone wasn't for a person, it was for a church. And what I learned as I started talking to people uh, who were there at the, at the funeral that day, they started reminding me, and I remembered hearing about this church, that, that it was uh, popular back in the World War II era. It was popular a long, long time ago. And during World War II, it was uh, thriving and, and, and witnessing, and, and people were coming to the faith, and this church really had a, a live witness. And what happened after World War II, all of a sudden the church began to shrink, and people began to be disconnected, and the congregation continued to age to a point when and they only had a handful of people that were a part of that church, and it was too few people, and they couldn't sustain it. So what they ended up doing was they ended up selling the property, they raised the building of the church, and they put this headstone there as a reminder that a church once stood there A church once stood there. And I was thinking a little bit about how how that is with with us and and how sad and how ironic. A a headstone for a church that had a mission, a headstone for a church that was excited about its mission and its purpose of of changing lives and leading people to the love of God. But somehow through the years and somehow through the struggles, it had just lost its way. It it had been disconnected. It had forgotten. It, It just wasn't purposeful anymore. And I thought about how, you know, it's not about churches learning how to change so that we can be relevant in today's world. What I really thought about is it's really less about changing and more about people in the church, you know, pastors as well as congregations, understanding how to effectively lead change. And at that point, that part effectively is so important. And as we work together, not only now, but in the years to come, as we are effectively working together to know and understand our community and the world dynamics that, that move and change around us, we will begin to see that our impact is in a greater way. Now, there's some local churches that, that will be lost if they, if they don't change. But there's a lot more at stake than that. There's really a lot more at stake than that. If the church doesn't continue to exist, then what what lost from that is that people won't understand the determination and the sacrifice that so many have had through the years as to why they believed what they believed. If the church doesn't survive, capital C Church, if it doesn't survive, then people are no longer gonna have the opportunity to envision somebody standing on a shoreline, crying out to God to please show up and to have favor, to part the Red Sea so that the people can get into safety. If the church doesn't continue to thrive and if a church ends up closing like this one did, it's a generation that will be lost because the previous generation didn't have the courage to break away from the slow death that comes. And that's a call to all churches today. Um, I read a lot of things. I'm sure you read a lot of things too. And and it seems like Christendom is 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 under attack today. In fact, uh, you know there are more and more books that are written about anti faith and anti Bible and all sorts of things other than uh, books that are inspirational. So it tells us that we're in a, a troubling time. And that's why the witness of the church. That's why the faithfulness of the church. That's why the people of the church and what we believe and why we believe and and being able to. To share others with others the hope and the possibility that comes in God. That's why it is so important to the cause and the message that we have. You know, we could put away all programs, we could put away all events like we just recently did. If we're not witness in the sense of, of sharing with people that a life in Christ is a better life, then we're missing the mark. And so this morning I want to walk us through some some really important things looking at choices. And choices are really important. You know, choices in life come in many different ways. There's some really easy choices. Like some of you are gonna leave um, church today and you're gonna be asking yourself, do we go to the all-you-can-eat burrito buffet after church? Or do we Uber in a pizza? I mean, that's a, that's a pretty easy choice. Some of us will struggle with choices that are a little bit more difficult, uh, not only today but throughout the rest of the week and even months from now, because uh, the economies are changing and some of us might be looking at a career change. And we might have this really difficult choice that we have to make that says, do I take a look at this out-of-town opportunity, one that promises more money, one that promises more upward mobility, one that promises my family so much more, do I go on that interview for that or do I stay here in a job that I really don't like, a job that I'm stuck in because my family just doesn't want to move. I mean, those are some really tough choices. You know, choices matter. You know, Jesus was uh, strolling around and, and, and going on, on with his conversations about what faith is all about. And what I loved about Jesus was he not only attracted um, people that knew something about the faith, but he also attracted a, a lot of people who knew nothing about the faith. And, and I think that we learn a lot from Jesus' ministry. We learn a lot that, that our faith is not supposed to be something that um, you, the ones who get it or the ones who are are in, but, but that we are all a, on a journey, that we are all working our way into salvation. We are constantly working uh, or loving or re- working on our relationships and loving our way, not, not physical works, but developing our love. So on the way of salvation that we would sense that. I want to take us to, to Luke uh, 15. There's, there's a couple stories that make a lot of sense, and I want to talk specifically about the first two. There's three really critical stories, but I'm going to talk about the first two. So listen to what um, the story says. By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. Now, let's stop right there. Do you catch? Who the people that were crowding around Jesus? It wasn't the... the the people that had it all together, was it? It says that people that had a lot of of, um, doubtful reputation, and those were the persons that were hanging around Jesus, people that weren't making good choices in life, people that maybe community saw one side of their life that they didn't approve of, people that were missing the mark, so to speak. These are the folks hanging around Jesus, and it's really important that we get this, because our God is a God that doesn't look for perfection in people. Our God is not a a God who says that you have to be perfect in every way, and that's the only way I'm going to love you. God sees through our imperfections and out of our imperfections god who is perfect we become greater in a sense of our love for each other because of god okay so let's let's continue the story the pharisees and the religion scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. Now, the Pharisees and religious scholars, let's just talk think that they were the leaders of the synagogue. These would be the ultra-religious people, the people who had gone to seminary, the people who had studied the Torah, the the Jewish Bibles, and the people who had really knew all the, the laws of what it meant to be in harmony with God. They did not like this at all. They weren't pleased. They growled, I love that word, they growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them. Treating them like old friends. And then listen to this. The grumbling triggered this story. So because they were grumbling at Jesus, Jesus gives us this story. Suppose one of you had 100 sheep and you lost one. Wouldn't you leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one lost until you found it? And when found, you can be sure that you would put it across your shoulders, rejoicing. And when you got home, calling your friends and your neighbors saying, celebrate with me. I have found my lost sheep. Count on it. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner's rescued life than over 99 good people in no need of rescue. So that's the first story. The lost sheep. Here's the second one. Or imagine a woman who has 10 coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and scour the house, looking in every nook and cranny until she finds it? And when she finds it, you can be sure that she'll call her friends and neighbors. Celebrate with me. I found my lost coin and count on it. That's the kind of party that God's angels throw every time that one soul who is lost turns back to God. So here we have this story, we have a a story of a shepherd, a shepherd who is looking for a sheep. We have a story of a woman who is searching for for a lost coin. And in order for them to do something about it, they have to make a decision. They have to change the the, uh, direction that their life is going. They have to specifically say, I'm no longer going to do what I'm doing, taking care of this, and I'm going to go out and I'm going to rescue or I'm going to find that which is missing. So the woman, the woman is interesting. You know, she's looking for a coin. We don't know a whole lot about her. We don't know if she's rich or she's poor. All we know is she has 10 coins and she's lost one of those. Now, um, I'm, I'm kind of doing the math thinking if somebody had 10 coins back in this day, that even if they were just a fraction of the value of coins, that they actually probably had money in their community. So here's a woman whose life probably could have been fine with nine coins, but it's incomplete because one is missing. And folks, she's like tearing the place up. She's like, it's like Super Bowl Sunday and you're looking for the remote, you know? It's like, I can't find it. Where are the games coming on? And she's pulling everything out, trying to find the one. And we see the burden that God is placing in this story that the shepherd and the woman are seeking what is missing, what is missing and what ultimately is lost. So the question this morning is, what do these stories mean to us? And when we, when we hear these stories or when we read them, what, what do they mean to us? And, and, and how important is the, the one compared to the 99? You know, we, we, we put a lot of comparisons with that. And, and what's so special about the one versus the 99? And if you're like me... Probably through the years, you've read the story and you've said that okay, 99 are the ones that are safe, so uh, you can leave that, or the nine coins are safe because they're in the bank. You can leave that, and you got to go out into your community and you got to find the one person that's, that's lost, and you got to drop everything so that you can find them. And for a lot of us through the years, that's, that's how we interpreted this story. And it was what was called an evangelical story. It was, it was called a, a story where we go out into our community and out into our world searching for that one person who doesn't know who God is. And for a lot of us, we sense through the years. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because when something's lost, we wanna find it, right? When something's lost, you wanna find it. Have you ever lost your car keys? Nobody? Yeah, okay. So you lose your car keys, okay? What do you want to do? You want to find them, okay? You know, about, uh, about 25 years ago, 26 years ago, Patty and I actually lost our oldest daughter, who was five at the time, at a, at a uh, craft festival in Longwood, Florida. And, and so when something's lost, you panic, and, and you, you want to take action, you want to do something. So, so lost and found means that, that someone or something, especially in biblical times, it has a tremendous meaning behind it. And we need to understand what Jesus is talking about lost and found. What is lost, we want to find. But what happens when it's missing? Is missing the same as lost? Lost, I had somebody say, you know, I've lost my innocence. And when you hear a statement like that, it's like it's forever. You can't get it back. So maybe lost is different than missing. And missing is one of those things where it's either misplaced or, or it's forgotten about or it's just not used right or, or you've just kind of tabled it for a while. And missing is something that can be found. It can be found. Imagine with me the possibility that maybe what Jesus is teaching in these two parables might have an alternative meaning than maybe what we've always known. Instead of it going and leaving the safe and going to find the one and bringing them back because they don't know and we've helped them to understand, what if, instead of that, what if Jesus is leaving the 99 non-believers to go find the one who is the believer but has forgotten? Walk with me a little bit on the development of this. So let's say that, that all of a sudden Jesus says it's it's. As important, if not more, to leave the 99 who don't yet know me so that I can find the one who's faltering, the one who has lost the passion, the one who has lost the fire, the one who has lost their way, who says they do know me. Because I have to make sure that those that do know me, because they are a part of my plan, they are a part of the, the opportunity, they are a part of my way of reaching the world. And if those who believe have lost their way, then I can't use them to bring the ones who don't yet know me. So maybe Jesus is leaving the 99 believers searching for the missing believer who has lost the fire in their belly for their faith. Now think about that for a second. We all go through seasons, don't we? In seasons that we go through life, we we have high seasons, we have mid-ground seasons, we have low seasons. And there are seasons when uh, aspiring to our faith, there are seasons in connecting with a the church, there are seasons with with uh, serving God, where where our mind tells us we we should do that, but yet our our um, our energy levels and just our interest levels they're not where they need to be, and so we just kind of lose sight of all of that. That's the missing person. That's the missing that I think we're seeing inside of this parable. Jesus could just as easily be searching for the one who sits in the church on a Sunday morning. So some of us think that because we come to church on Sunday, some of us think because we connect with events, that that's what Christians do. Well, it's deeper than that. It's certainly part of how we grow in our love of God but it's gotta be more than just walking through and, and coming in on Sunday and then throughout the week, we're, we're engaged in everything else and all of a sudden we gotta get our headset on so because Sunday we're coming back into church. So there's something about having a greater transformed life. Think about Jesus leaving the 99 to find the one believer who's missing, who has lost the passion for the love of God, who has lost their passion to serve God who has lost and is missing from being a part of God's plan. Oftentimes you'll hear uh, preachers who will use um, this story in, in Luke 15 as a means of saying, you know, we've got to, you know, who is your neighbor? Look out, go go next door neighbor, bring him to church, do all this. let's, let's about building the church and all those things. And sometimes we lose sight of what the true meaning possibly could be here. And I think that these parables, uh, likely because of the tense and the way in which the Greek is written, that the parables are actually to check the balance with you and I who are believers, that, that God is calling us, that Jesus is saying, that I'm willing to leave everything else behind because you, the believer, you, the one who's tr- supposed to trust me. You're the one who says that you love me. You're valuable, you're important, you've lost your way, and before we can be a benefit, before we can be an impact to anyone else, you and I've got to get it right," he says. And I think that that's where where we are. We find ourselves as being the missing. We're missing when it comes to serving in God's church, we're, we're missing when it comes to telling others how much we love the church and, and how much we see God's work and love and life being done through the church. I mean, here's a, here's a great litmus test. When was the last time that, that maybe you or maybe I, when was the last time we told somebody about what God's doing in the heart of St. Paul? When was the last time you invited somebody to come with you because you were so excited about what God is doing in your life, how God is working and walking with you, God is developing you? When was the last time, or are we missing? Are we just kind of showing up and, and kind of doing our own thing? Or are we engaged in making the difference? You know, St. Paul Church is, is, is a vital part of our, of our community. It's a vital part of everything that happens here. And, and I really believe that if you take a look at, at how we are engaging our local community, that we are making a difference. And I truly believe that because of how we are trying to be a church in our local community to make that difference, that we can see that lives truly are being touched. Lives are being changed. People are finding ways to make better choices. Schools and empowerment and all the things that we see are happening because faith-based community of St. Paul United Methodist Church is connected with that. But Jesus says this morning, What about you? Are you connecting? Or are you missing? And and is he willing to leave the 99 to find you? You bet he is. So, if you've ever thought about, you know, well, what can I do to connect with my church? You know, here's just a couple of ideas. Uh, that might happen with that. You know, you can connect through our prayer shawl ministry. You can be a part of St. Paul through the Martha Meal ministry where you take meals to people that are just coming out of hospitals and, and people that are in trouble. You can be a part of our, our reach teams, which is ushers and greeters. You can be a part of our, our choir or praise team. You can be a student mentor. Maybe maybe you can help um, teenagers uh, grow in their faith with God. You can be a part of our children's ministry or our United Methodist Women and Men's ministry. Maybe you can be a part of PACASAC where we're actually... Uh, preparing uh, bags of food for the weekends for some of our partner schools. Maybe you can be a part of home visitation when someone is, is in need and, and the pastors, there's just too many and too few of us, that you can be a part of the team that goes and does that. Maybe you can be a part of welcoming our community. We have a development coming across the street. You could be a part of helping welcome them into our community. Our carpenter shop ministry. Maybe you can be engaged in that and, and be a part of what God is doing in that fresh expression. You could be a school mentor. You could be a jumpstart volunteer. Pastor Pam gave you a couple of examples of what that might be. You can also be a part of our Stephen ministry, our coffee team. Uh, you can be technical arts. You know, they're the folks that, that make sure that what we do in our live um, comings together that lights are on and and we're live streaming and and visuals and everything's happening with that. You can help with hospital visitation. You can serve in our handicapable ministry. You can uh, work in our nursery. You can rock babies if you want to do that. Uh, You can be a part of feeding the homeless every weekend. You can lead a class. You can host a small group. Uh, You can be part of front office volunteer help, an open arms ministry volunteer, leading in leadership, and part of our loving hearts ministry, which uh, prepares food. For families that are bereaved when a loved one dies. Folks, these are just a small smattering, but you know, these are some of the many ways. So the question is why are you missing? And, I, and I'm not saying this in a way of, of scolding, but what I'm saying is is just calling the attention, and here's why. Here's what I've learned through the years. When I'm connected in my church, when I'm connected with God, when I am serving God and I am serving others, then I am fulfilled in such a powerful way because life is no longer about me. It's actually about everybody else. And that's why we need to connect. That's why you need to connect. That's why you need to be a part of that. If you've been feeling like, you know, your, your enthusiasm to be a part of a, a Christian church is kind of dwaning. if you're kind of getting, well, I might go look at this church or that church, if you're kind of all over the place, you need to start giving of yourself more. You know, I, as a pastor, I hear words sometimes about, well, I left my church because I wasn't being fed. Well, folks, you know, the Scripture, Jesus says something entirely different than that. Jesus doesn't say that the pastors feed the congregations. What Jesus says, actually, in John 4, 34, is my food is found in doing the will of the Father. So we get fed, we, get, we, we satisfy our hunger for God when we serve God, when we are in God's will. And so how can we draw closer to that? How can we no longer be missing? How can we be present? How can we be the people that God wants us to be? If you're someone who's never been connected to a church, if you've never been connected to any ministries, if you've never had the opportunity or or felt that you've had the time to actually step out and serve in some way, let me tell you, if you take that chance, if you take that opportunity, if you will just step out and serve and connect in some way here at this local church, I guarantee you that you will have more joy in your life. I guarantee you that, that you won't have a problem-free life, but you will see life in a different perspective. You will start loving people more. You will start loving Jesus more. You will start uh, having deeper relationships in your families and in your marriages and in your friendships because your life is no longer your own, because you've turned your life inside out for the service of God and for the love of God for so many others. So today I'm inviting every person to who calls St. Paul their church home. And if you're visiting with us today, I'm gonna to give this invitation to you as well. I, I, I call upon you to rediscover the happiness and the joy of being part of a church once again. Whether you choose to be a part of this church or another church, be, be joyful, connect, serve, love, and raise that level. I call upon every one of you to no longer be missing, but claim the truth that you have been found, that Jesus is willing to risk reaching 99 unbelievers to reconnect you, the believer, so that you can partner with him in his greater purpose. I call upon all of us to reinsert ourselves back into the life mission of this church, and to be engaged with that, and not merely to participate by coming on Sundays, but be the army for Christ, in our community, in the work that we do. And I remind all of us that that Jesus loves us so much that he's willing to append the search for those who yet know him to come find you, to come find me, to find us when we are missing. You know, it sums up with this final reading here, and this comes out of Acts. After his death, Jesus presented himself alive to them in many different settings over a period of 40 days. And in face-to-face meetings, I love that, in face-to-face meetings, this wasn't just hearsay. Jesus actually was in front of people, eyeball to eyeball. In face-to-face meetings, he talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. And as they met and they ate meals together, he told them that they were on no account to leave Jerusalem, but must wait for what the Father has promised. Don't go away, but wait The promise you heard from me, John baptized in water. Jesus said, you will be baptized in what? The Holy Spirit. And when? Soon. And when they were together for the last time, they asked, Master, are you going to restore the the kingdom to Israel now? Is this the time? He's eyeball to eyeball, and they still don't get it. Jesus said, you're not understanding. You don't get to know the time. Timing is the Father's business. What you get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, listen to this, then you'll be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, over all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. When we're missing, we can't fulfill that. But when we're connected, we can. And whenever we're connected and not missing, we can fulfill that promise and be effective witnesses in Jerusalem, which is Clearwater Largo, Judea, which is Pinellas County, Samaria, the the United States, and the world. So we've got to connect, and we've got to no longer be missing. Jesus calls us to make the difference, and that difference is in you.